Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate podcast at the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor. I'm really glad that you have joined us. And over these last couple of episodes, we've been kind of doing a series where we're talking about what it really means for someone to belong. We have this awesome mural in front of our church that says you belong. And we really want to have a church that, that, that has that attitude. It's a, it's a, it's a mural that we have on the outside of our church, not on the inside. It is a message that we have to the community that no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter where you come from, we want you to feel like that you can come here and have full access to Jesus and to the gospel. And so what we've been talking about are just some of the barriers that keep people from really believing that, that they really can have um, access to Jesus and that you can belong and you can accept him without, again, without all the preconditions and all the obstacles that too often churches and Christians put before people. And so at first we just talked about just the way that churches fight and interact with each other and that the hostility between churches and an attitude that says our church is the right church and there's wrong churches, that that can be really off-putting because it can give someone the impression that they have to have it all figured out because I'm coming to a church that already has everything figured out. And then we spent some time in the next episode talking a little bit about kind of why that is and how we can avoid that sort of attitude by having just a really more open-handed view about major theological issues versus minor theological issues. And we're not going to divide ourselves over minor theological issues, and we're certainly not going to divide ourselves over minor practices. And then in our last episode, we talked about trying to avoid camps, and especially political ones, that you become a church that everybody in our church is a Democrat. Everybody in our church is a Republican. Everybody in our church has to think this way or act like this. And so, because when you, when you, when you put those sorts of preconditions on it, where you become the Republican church or the Democrat church, then what happens in people's mind is that, is they think, well, I, I have to, I have to be like this already to be here. But in the course of talking about that, you know, we say, hey, we're not going to take, we're not, we're not going to go out of our way to kind of take political stands on issues. We're not going to be an overtly political, we're not going to seek out making controversial opinions and thoughts about issues in the day that sometimes that can be interpreted or thought of as like cowardice, that somehow we're afraid to confront sin when we see it in our community. And it was important for us to, again, this is the emphasis that we made, that really the emphasis that we made is, is it's, it's, we don't want there to be any barriers between people and the gospel that there's certain things that you have to do or be in advance of the gospel. And so people wonder, it's like, well, well, then when do you confront people? When do you tell people about sin? If it's like, if, if people can bring in with them, if you really can, anybody can belong. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you've done. When do we tell people? How and when do we communicate to people the seriousness of sin? And this is a very important, serious issue. And, and it reminds me of this really cool story. Well, it's not a cool story. It's a funny story that happened in one of our staff meetings a few months ago. Um, we were trying to plan something. And so people were getting out their calendars on their phone. And one of the guys on our staff named Mark, he has a, um, he has a actual physical planner and he pulls it out. And it really does. It just, it just, it, it, it's, it's overwhelming to look at every date has, a whole, I mean, way more words than fit in the box. 
It's in very terrible handwriting. It's all scratched up. It's impossible to read. And a person on our staff was sitting next to him and, and looked at him and looked at that. And, and what she said was this, she says, Mark, I love you, but whoa. And we all laughed when she said that, but there was something about that moment that really kind of stuck with me. Just that phrasing, the way that she said it, because she looked at something that was very private to him and he pull and he, and he pulls it out and he shows it and it's, and it's, and it's tough. It's, it's not great. And she looks at him and says, Hey, I see this in you. I, I, I see this. I love you, but this is crazy. This is weird. There's something wrong with this. And I think about, and not, not to make, you know, just a casual statement that get, you know, get all theological on it. Honestly, I think that is the attitude that God is calling us to have with people. People come in and we want them to belong. We want them to feel like that they can hear the gospel. We want them to feel like that they've got access to Jesus. They've got access to his word. They've got access to community. And ultimately, at some point, we are going to find out who someone really is. And we're going to see inside into the darkest places into their heart and their life. And ultimately, what the attitude that we want to be able to have with people is, is that we can look at them no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, that we can look at them and say, I love you, but whoa. And I think one of the ways that this often gets expressed in churches is, I love you just as you are, but at the same time, I love you too much to let you stay there. And so you see someone struggling, you see someone hurting, you see someone broken, you see someone who is overwhelmed by a particular sin, or maybe they're involved in a sin and they don't even know that it's a sin, but you know that it is, and you know that it's hurting their relationship with God, that it's hurting their life in some way, that it's doing them some damage, and you love them, you love them just as they are, but you love them too much to let them just stay there. I mean, again, I think, I think the metaphors for this, I mean, the, the examples for this attitude are pretty prevalent. I mean, the best one is when you think about kids, you don't, you don't, you don't, I mean, we'll just, we'll just start with babies like our our two-year-old, right? And you're like, you love that two-year-old just as he is, but you're not going to let that two-year-old have that two-year-old attitude the whole time, the tantrums, the selfishness, or in a more crass, but, uh, example, you know, kid poops his pants. I love you even though you're pooping your pants, but I love you too much. You can't keep pooping your pants forever. And I think that is the attitude that we need to have. We need to have an attitude that says we have unconditional love and acceptance for people in the same way that parents do for their children. But we love each other too much to let us stay in the current state that we're in. And the, and the examples that we have of this with Jesus are, are numerous. And the first one that always comes to my mind is Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was uh, a tax collector and he was very rich. And what that means is, is that, that he was a Jewish man who was working for the Roman government and was essentially involved in the oppression of his own people and was in fact stealing from them, which is how he became rich. But he hears that Jesus is coming to his town. He's this guy that is completely hated by everyone in his town. He's, he's become wealthy and powerful by stealing from everyone else in his community. So he is hated. He's a traitor. But he hears that Jesus is coming. 
And so he goes out to see him, but he's short and he can't see over the crowd. And again, because the crowd hates him, no one's moving for Zacchaeus. But because he was so interested in at least just seeing what Jesus looks like, he climbs up to a climbs up in a tree just to see him. And Jesus, being Jesus, knows who he is, sees him in that tree and walks up to him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm having dinner with you tonight. And everyone is astonished and mortified by this. And, you know, he he's like, how, if, if it, Jesus must not be a prophet, he must not really be who he says he is, because if he did, he would know who this guy is. And if he knew who this guy was, he would never have dinner with him. And so the next thing you know, he's at his, he's at Zacchaeus's house for dinner. We don't get very much interaction about what Jesus said to him, what, 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 what their conversations were, what happened during this dinner. Here's all that we know is that at some point near the end of dinner, he has this complete breakdown of repentance. And he, he says, listen, I know that I've stolen from people. I know that I have done terrible things and I'm going to give half of everything that I have to the poor. And if I've stolen anything from anybody, I'm going to repay them four times what I took from them. And then Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. And so what we see is that Jesus looked at Zacchaeus with no preconditions and said, I want to be with you. I want to get to know you. I want to be around you. And then after interacting with Jesus, Zacchaeus repents. Zacchaeus is sorry for his sin and wants to make up for the wrongs that he has done. He wants to become a generous person. He wants to take care of the poor and he wants to undo the wrongs that he'd done in the life of the people in his community. And I believe that is intentional in the Bible that it is not described specifically what Jesus said or what the conversation was. I think we are meant to only take away from this, from this passage that being in the presence of Jesus Christ changed Zacchaeus. Just being around him changed him. I am sure that, that Jesus taught things, said things, shared things, told stories, told parables. I'm sure there's all these things. But hearing from Jesus, being around Jesus, knowing more about him, interacting with him, the, the confession and the repentance of sin was a natural byproduct of that. And so we want to be a, the kind of church that replicates that, that no matter who you are, no matter what shame you might bring with you, no matter what sin that you might bring with you, we want you to feel loved. And we believe that by being in the presence of Jesus, by hearing the gospel, by hearing the implications of the gospel, by hearing the way that life with God is described, by studying different books of the Bible, by reading, by studying, by, by hearing more about this Jesus that the repentance and the overcoming of sin is a natural and necessary byproduct of that. But the problem comes is that we very too often get this, we, we get the order wrong, that we come to people not with an attitude of love, but with an attitude of kind of assessing them from the very beginning on the front end. Here are all the things that are wrong with you, and you're going to have to get all those things squared up in order to fit in in this community. But that is not the order that Jesus had. Jesus started with love and connection and then with interaction with Jesus and his teaching and his presence, conviction 
and and change and overcoming sin is a byproduct of that. Again, we could use another example, Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter three. In John chapter three, Jesus is interacting with this woman uh, alone at a well in the middle of the day. And the suspicious part of the story is that this woman is out in the heat of the day gathering water rather than first thing in the morning when everyone else is doing when it's cooler, gives us some clues, just some immediate context clues that there's something going on here. This woman, there's something about her that is making her want to avoid crowds, being having to be around other people. And in this time, she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by Jews. And so we've got every reason for Jesus to not interact with her. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. She obviously has some manner of social outcast about her. And Jesus knows all of these things and overcomes all of the social norms in order to intentionally interact with her. And he offers her the gospel. He does it first with a metaphor by offering her water. Hey, I've got water that if you had it, I mean, you would, you would, you would, you would never be thirsty again. And she's like, man, please give me some of that because I hate coming out here to this well. And he's like, man, you don't under, you don't understand, you don't understand what I'm talking about. And so they're interacting for a while. And then finally he says, Hey, bring your husband to me. He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus, you know, gets to the point here a little bit with her sin and says, Hey, I, I understand that you've been married several times and you're living with a dude right now. And he's not your husband. And she's like, whoa, 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 okay, I see you're a prophet. So then she tries to distract him by getting him involved in some religious controversy that existed between Jews and Samaritans. And it, as Jesus is very wont to do, he's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna engage with that. And he just gets back again to the heart of the gospel with her and about the life that can come from him. And her life is changed. And then she goes back immediately to the town, to the people that she's desperately trying to avoid and says, I believe that I have found the Messiah. You need to come and hear him. And so we see in Jesus this perfect blend of his willingness to engage with her, to talk to her, to love her, to accept her, to go beyond the normal social norms, the things that appropriate men, godly men would have done to love her, to accept her. And then in an incredible interaction with her. Her sin comes up, her life comes up. But even with that, even as her sin comes up, he offers her the gospel freely. And then when she accepts that gospel, we see her life change. This is just what happens when we get people to Jesus. When we get people to Jesus, they accept the gospel and you put them in the presence of him long enough, then sin is overcome. And so we need to make sure that as a church and as Christians, that we make sure that we are the kind of people who get the order right. We get the order right. There, there are no preconditions. There are no steps. There are no obstacles between you and the gospel. I don't have to I don't have to stress about the fact that you're a sinner. I don't have to list all your sins to you. I don't have to give you targeted messages, targeted Bible studies, targeted sermons, where you need to make sure that I know that what you're doing is wrong. This may be a mildly controversial example for some of you, but there was a um, a married gay couple that was coming to the Grove for, for quite a while, and I built a really good friendship with, with, with these two guys. 
and was just kind of talking to them just about about why they started coming to the Grove, what they what they liked about it. And one of the things that they said is that what what I really like about the church is like we we came here and you, you we didn't immediately hear a, a sermon about how homosexuality is is bad. And like I was like, what what do you mean? What do you mean by that? He says most churches that I've ever visited that when I come back the second or third time, ultimately what happens is, is the pastor will say, hey, I know we've been studying this over these last few few months, but I feel like we need to take a break from our normal sermon schedule. And so today we're just going to talk about how homosexuality is a sin and that just my presence, our presence visiting their church made them change their entire preaching schedule so that they could make sure that they singled us out as what we were doing is wrong. And like, if something like that happens once, it's like, well, maybe it's just a complete and total coincidence, but they said that it happened to them multiple times. And we have this fear. We have this fear of just like, if someone comes here and is a sinner, I've got to make sure to call it out specifically for them. And I need to make sure that everyone in the church knows that I know what that this is a sin and what these people are doing is sinful and and it has to be specific and targeted. And ultimately what that brings is shame and, and the idea that I'm not welcome here, that my sin is worse than another person's sin. But ultimately I also believe that it that it demonstrates in us a lack of belief, really, that regular exposure to Jesus and the gospel and to his word, regular access and helping people understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in the lives of people, that, that, that's, that that's not enough, that there is this pressure on me to root sin out of people on, on my timeline. But ultimately, Jesus said it himself, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. The first one is to love God with everything that you are. And the second one is I'm going to love my neighbor as I'm going to love people the way that I love myself. And honestly, what does that mean? What does I love me just as I am, but I want to get better. And I look at you, we look at people that come to our church and I, we love you just as you are, but we love you too much to let you stay there. And so we believe we are the kind of church that wants people to overcome sin. We're going to, we're, we're going to talk about things that are serious. We're going to talk about the things that are that that are that are causing the most problems. We spend a lot of time talking about sex. We spend a lot of time talking about money. We spend time talking about greed. We spend time talking about fear, anxiety, all of the things that are crippling us, the biggest sins that we have. We will spend time talking about that, but hopefully you will never get the impression that because you are currently battling one of those things that you are not loved and that you do not belong. And so let's just make sure that we have this attitude that says, I love you, but whoa, rather than the often seen attitude amongst Christians and churches where you see someone who is struggling in sin and you go, whoa, but I guess God wants me to love you. Let's make sure that we get the order right. So thank you for joining us. We are going to, we've got one more episode in this coming up where we're just going to talk about one other way that I believe that really helps people uh, feel like they belong and to remove some of these barriers for the gospel is understanding and living uh, a life of freedom. 
And Paul has some awesome things to say about freedom. So I encourage you to join us for that as we're wrapping up this series in our Cultivate podcast. And again, we would love for you to join us in any way that you can. You can check us out at thegrovechurch.org and you can find out about our Sunday services. If you live locally, we'd love to see you there. Otherwise, you can join us online. We're streaming every Sunday morning. You can just check us out on social media. We would love to connect with you in any way that we can. Again, thanks for joining us and have a great day.